The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. The Honorable Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received one. <laughs> with one recorded as present. No nominee having received the majority of the votes cast, a speaker has not been elected. Madam Clerk, I move that the House stands adjourned until noon tomorrow. The question is on the motion that the House stands adjourned until noon tomorrow. Those in favor say aye. Those opposed, opposed, no. Okay, 15 minutes. Can I just say the drama of that moment? <laughs> Margaret, it's incredible. Lots packed into that uh, little clip there from last night. The 11th loss for Kevin McCarthy. He's 0 and 11. Has there been has there been a, a more prolific loser in the race for House Speaker than Kevin McCarthy? I guess they're about to uh, carry on with the 12th vote today here in just a few moments. But you saw there at the top of that clip, too, that Donald Trump, of all people, he got one vote from uh, Representative Matt Gates. Uh, actually, he got one vote, I think, in the last three go-rounds. In any event, lots to get to on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you Joining us for this final show of the week, fast-moving week as per usual, even during the breaks here in Edmond, Oklahoma, here on uh, God's campus. Even during the breaks, the days just move by so quickly, but we're glad that you are joining us for this Friday program or this weekend program. If you're listening on demand, you can get to the live video stream of this show through our website. That would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live. Uh, but you can also just go to the, the home page of the website and get to uh, the Trumpet Daily page that takes you to these programs that you can download at your convenience or have them uh, distributed to your devices so you can listen on the run. So as I said yesterday, really, uh, this debate, it's been going on now for three-plus days, but this debate really has exposed a lot of the sickness in Washington, and uh, also it's it's forcing people to discuss something that we've just grown accustomed to having shoved down our throats. That's really, I mean, what you saw there from both sides, one wanting to adjourn, the other side wanting to carry on, I mean, this is, uh, this is kind of morphing into a, a British-style parliamentary debate, and that's what's been missing from these omnibus bills that are created in dark rooms by this maybe seven or eight person committee and then just ram down the throats of Americans. And of course, these 20 stalwarts are saying, this is healthy what we have going on here. This is debate. 
This is both sides being able to express their views. Listen to Tucker Carlson last night as he summed up what was or is happening this week. Clip three. Kevin McCarthy's just lost the 11th round trying to be speaker. And it's funny how we're supposed to feel about this. We're all supposed to be highly upset, outraged, appalled on the verge of tears about the fact that some of his colleagues are trying to make it hard for Kevin McCarthy to become the Speaker of the House. Very upset. But why exactly is it so upsetting? It should be hard to become Speaker of the House in this country. Very hard. It's a big job. It's one of those powerful jobs in the world. It's not one of those positions you give to elderly men who've campaigned from their basement. If you want to be the guy who's second in line from the presidency in America, you've got to work for it. And Kevin McCarthy certainly has worked for it this week. Whatever you think of him, you get the feeling McCarthy would crawl naked through a sewer to get this gig. And that's not necessarily an insult, by the way. It's what it takes, obviously. Maybe it's what it should take. So if you take a deep breath and you think about it for a second, nothing we have seen in Washington recently, the supposedly apocalyptic world-ending drama of politicians arguing with each other, None of it qualifies as especially unusual or even bad. This is what democracy looks like when you get up close. That's Tucker from last night saying that, you know, it should be hard to be speaker or to become speaker of the House. Uh, But that's just it. McCarthy thought it would be easy. In fact, he moved into the speaker's office. Matt Gates has called him out for this, calling him a squatter. But he moved into the speaker's office before there was even one vote. I mean, that right there illustrates everything that's wrong with Washington, D.C. So much of it is just about theater. That was brought out in a clip we played for you the other day. It's just theater. There's no real oversight. There's no real debate process. It's all for the television cameras. And, of course, the talking heads on TV are happy to oblige. Listen to Representative Matt Rosendale. He comes from uh, Montana, and he's basically talking about the broken system that is government in D.C., clip nine. We are participating in a system that has endured 247 years through drought and through flood, through world wars and through a civil war. But unfortunately, over the past 15 years, the process that we use has been dramatically broken through the consolidation of power into the hands of the speaker and a fortunate few who happen to serve on the rules committee which control every aspect of legislation that travels through this body. The debate and the discussion has been all but eliminated. Our constituents think as they watch us on C-SPAN today, that this is how everyday functions. They think that this is how every bill gets addressed in this body. And they will be shocked to learn the ones that you have not disclosed the little nasty secret to, that unfortunately, that's not how it works around this place. And there are two people standing on the floor passing pieces of legislation, but in many circumstances, spend millions and tens of millions of dollars that the taxpayers are obligated to cover, and their representative was not even here to vote upon it. 
These are not radical deviations from the norm. These are a restoration of the rules so that this place can function properly. It's, it's not a radical deviation at all. It's just a return to the traditional way that the House used to operate. As he says there, it's just come down to the Speaker and these small committees. They have all the power. And as we said earlier this week, the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill is case in point. $1.7 trillion? The, the bill was 4,000 pages. You've got the word salmon. You know, the fish, salmon's mentioned in it 40 sometimes. And it was rammed through in, what, 48 hours? No discussion, no debate. Most members of the House didn't even read it. Kevin McCarthy did nothing to stop the monstrosity. It just went right through. Of course, it was put together by the Senate first. But still, it's the Uniparty. They'll spend trillions and trillions of dollars. And so these 20, call them rebels, if you will, Jake Tapper, but these 20, they're wanting to decentralize the authority in the House and to give the representatives more say, to give more power, in other words, to the people. And uh, at least, judging by some reports last night and this morning, uh, it looks like McCarthy's made quite a few concessions. I mean, I was listening to MSNBC on the way over. They, they said that so many concessions have been made that McCarthy may lose support from the other side. You know, the liberal Republicans, the rhinos, because they know how the system works. They, they want the administrative state to run the country. They want the lobbyists to have final say. This is from the New York Post. It says a source close to McCarthy reportedly confirmed to Reuters that a deal is on the table, but that it won't put him over the vote threshold needed to be elected Speaker of the House. Sources told Reuters that it probably could give McCarthy an additional 10 to 12 votes from holdouts. And, and again, if the, the voting, if the voting numbers uh, continue, and now that's another wrinkle to this story as well. There's some members of the House that are leaving town uh, today or that won't be there through the weekend. So quite a few are saying that there won't be a final vote on this, or at least on McCarthy's uh, status as the possible House Speaker until sometime next week. In any event, he's, as, as Tucker said, he, he will crawl naked through a sewer to get this job. He's been obsessed with it for so long. And so he's making all these last-minute concessions that you really you wouldn't have dreamed of ever happening. Just a few short weeks ago, this is from Politico, some of the concessions, a, a one-member motion to vacate that would just give one member of the House the power, basically, to hold the House Speaker responsible for his actions and to basically get him out, to, to <laughs> unleash a no-confidence vote. The Rules Committee seats for the Freedom Caucus and there's been some speculation on this from both sides. Uh, and I, I think McCarthy has come forward and said to his caucus or to those that support him that, look, I'm not giving up all these seats that has been reported in the media in any event. I mean, the Freedom Caucus, they want more say in the committees as well. A vote on term limits, this is something they want. And then most especially, the major changes to the appropriations process. In other words, you can't just keep ramming through these omnibus spending packages 
We've got to have changes. We've got to be able to take, take it one item at a time or make amendments. You can't just put it all into this grab bag of left-wing favorites and then just ram it on through. And everyone benefits all around Washington except for the American people across the nation. It says, the late-night exchange, this is Politico, uh, the late... The late-night exchange of paper followed another major breakthrough for the GOP leader. The McCarthy-aligned Congressional Leadership Fund reached a deal with the Conservative Club for Growth, etc., etc. The AP has uh, similar reports. So they're trying desperately to, to reach some kind of compromise with the Freedom Caucus, the conservatives. And then, of course, there are those who are saying, look, just try to compromise with the Democrats. And, of course, this wouldn't surprise me at all. Matt Gates is pretty insistent that it won't happen. It seems like that would end McCarthy's political career if he just came out and said, yeah, actually, I am a Democrat. Actually, I am a rhino. I'm a Republican in name only. Listen to Brett Baer as he suggests, <laughs> practically suggests, reaching out to the Democrat side, clip four. There's one way that this could be solved, and that is the negotiation includes Democrats. There's some kind of thing that happens as far as what they get. I don't know what it is, but 40 of them vote present. And then the majority to win becomes 198. I see And it. Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker because yeah. the magic number shifts from 218 right. to 198. Yeah. It's but, possible, but that means that he's giving up a lot mm -hmm. to Democrats, yeah. and that would cost him inside his caucus. And, I would say it would cost him. But that's actually being discussed. So here we are going into round 12. You heard at the opening montage that vote from Matt Gates. He voted, he voted for Trump, I think, on number nine. And then again, he voted for, or maybe it was eight and nine. And then he went back to Donald's. And then uh, on the 11th go round last night, for the first time, Matt Gates got up and actually nominated Donald Trump. He, he actually nominated Trump as an option. And, and this is from his speech, clip seven. For what purpose does the gentleman from Florida rise? To place a name and nomination for the position of Speaker of the House. The gentleman is recognized. My friends, when Donald Trump was president, taxes were cut, regulations were slashed, energy was abundant, wages were rising, capital was returning from overseas to fund the dreams and ambitions of our fellow Americans, and the economy was roaring. What a contrast to what we have seen from this administration now. And so I rise to nominate Donald Trump for the position of Speaker of the House. President Trump oriented our views on trade so that we actually put the American people first, not foreign interests abroad or special interests here at home. President Trump knew that we had to confront China, that China had already engaged in a trade war against us, but it was a war that we were surrendering, and so we started to fight back. This government for far too long has been deeply corrupt. This town has been deeply corrupt. The way people get leadership positions and chairmanships and opportunities to be able to morally preen has been by accepting lobbyist and special interest money and redistributing that money as currency for favors. And that is not a criticism of, of either political party. It is a criticism of what we have allowed to happen in this place. And if we just go next man up on our side of the aisle, we will reify that corrupt system and we will abandon the people who are expecting us to fight for them. We also have to restore 
to the Speaker's office, an actual person that ought to be in the Speaker's office, not the squatter who is currently there. And if the architect of the Capitol is listening, I sent a letter, and I would like to know what the basis is to allow somebody to occupy the Speaker's office who comes in second place ten straight times. Is there, like, some basis in law or rule or precedent for that? And so I nominate President Trump because we must make our country great again, and he can start by making the House of Representatives great again. And so following that, of course, as you would expect, with as popular as Donald Trump is, there's this movement now across the nation to, to, to put Donald Trump in there, even if temporarily. He's obviously running for president in 2024. But some have suggested maybe 100 days, maybe a couple hundred days. Maybe, maybe in there for a temporary time to, 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 to actually, you know, he's, he's, he's got a book, The Art of the Deal. And he, he struck quite a few pretty good deals for the United States, as Gates points out rightly at the, at the beginning of that speech. What a contrast when you just compare Trump's America to what we've seen these past two years. It's just, it kind of blows my mind that America's getting to hear this. It really is like it's straight out of America under attack. It's being exposed on the one hand, what's happening now, the attack. But also, also, now, you're, now we're being reminded to what it was like under Jeroboam. He was far from perfect. And Gates brought that out last night in his interview with Laura Ingram. We'll get to that a little bit later. But think about these events transpiring. All of it happening, of course, today is the two-year anniversary of January 6th, and all the Democrats, they're on the stairs of the Capitol there, in tears practically, just carrying on with the Fed-surrection lie. Well, it's not a lie, actually. Fed-surrection is what it was. The Feds, they set up Donald Trump and his supporters. That's what happened two years ago. On this day, two years ago, and evidence... Evidence was never examined in Congress. This is exactly the problem that's, that, that really these 20 stalwarts are, are opposed to. They're fighting. The fact that you can't get in and, and look at a 4,000-page bill before it, it, it's just handed or put on the backs of American people? $1.7 trillion. The same thing happened two years ago. These radicals, these communists, they don't want evidence to be examined. They don't want you to go through 4,000 pages of, uh, of evidence that exposes voter fraud on a mass scale. And you look at what they're willing to do to cover up the truth. And as I say, they've got all their allies in the media that are there to cover for them. Listen to this, this reaction from CNN because of Gates's nomination of Donald Trump, clip two that Matt Gates would nominate Donald Trump for Speaker of the House on January 5th, hours away from the second anniversary of January 6th, just tells you how this is not a serious enterprise, how at least many of the holdouts are just not serious people. Uh, two years ago tomorrow, Donald Trump tried to steal the country, tried to overturn an election, tried to subvert the democracy that lives in that building. So it just shows you that this, for some of them, is just not a serious enterprise. It's a protest. It's a sport. Call it what you will. Matt Gates can choose his own words, but it's not serious, he and it's took, not about governing. Took the words out of my mouth. I'll go a step further. It's repugnant. I mean, the idea that you have a sitting member of Congress standing in the place where, at the time, the speaker was hunted, 
and, and the she, vice president of the and the vice States. president of the United States was hunted. Talk about not serious. They're accusing Matt Gates of not being serious in this effort to to nominate Trump or to to bring Trump in as the House Speaker. Here they are acting as judge and jury. Donald Trump is guilty. Never mind what the January 6th committee did not find. Never mind what they covered up. Never mind Ashley Babbitt, Roseanne Boyle, and the others. The only ones who were killed that day or hunted that day were Trump supporters. And they talk about all of these congressional uh, uh, servants there in, in D.C. that were on the run, like Josh Hawley maybe. They were being hunted, really? Where's the footage of that? Politicians being hunted down. These people are lying to the faces of Americans. And it's two years, two years on. Think about all that's been exposed in the course of that time. Think about everything that, that Tucker revealed in that documentary from over a year ago, I think it was. And they still continue with the narrative. Listen to this MSNBC commentator just the other day, clip five. But it's more than a problem of optics when when Capitol officers are being killed and there are extremists taking over the Capitol. When Capitol officers are being killed, like Brian Sicknick, the one who died the next day of a stroke, the next day, it wasn't in any way connected to the protest. And there's MSNBC saying that Capitol Hill police officers, plural, plural, were killed. No mention of Ashley Babbitt. No mention of Ashley Babbitt in that other clip I just played for you. And what about Ray Epps? Has he been arrested yet? It's a setup. A setup where, because of Nancy Pelosi, security was intentionally dialed down. It was intentionally weakened to help establish this narrative, to help frame Donald Trump and his supporters. This is happening in the United States of America. This is America under attack. If you haven't gotten a copy of this book yet, make sure that you call our operators and request one today. As I said earlier, I think this was yesterday on the show, these last two issues, I don't have the February issue just yet. It should be arriving any day. But the January issue, ready for war, I mean, what we're seeing a lot right now this week in the House is war, political warfare. And then the next issue, it talks about going the way of Rome. And I gave you some quotes from that yesterday. Maybe I can just conclude this segment with a, a little bit more. But first, the 800 number, one 930 3024. Call our operators and request your free copy. This is from the next issue, the February issue of The Trumpet, where my father says, as you will read in this Trumpet issue, America and Britain are in the twilight of their power because of the sins of our peoples. We're at the very twilight stage of our, of our power, the greatest superpower in the history of the, of the world. But look at what our, what our sins have brought upon us. Look at what's being exposed even this week. It says here, it's difficult to imagine America collapsing as a world power, but we truly are going the way of Rome. We must have the humility, perspective, and vision to recognize our problems for what they are and awaken to what they are doing to us and how they are leading to our catastrophic downfall. That's all in the next issue of The Trumpet Magazine. 
as I say, call our operators and request your free one-year subscription. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. You're listening to the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Kevin McCarthy is the masthead of the Lobby Corps, and I resent the extent to which Kevin McCarthy utilizes the lobbyists and the special interests to be able to dictate how political decisions are made, how policy decisions are made, and how leadership decisions are made. Kevin McCarthy has been in the leadership for 14 years, and he has sold shares of himself to special interests, to political action committees, and so that's why I don't think he is an appropriate choice. So, so I, why, I take is, a, why is Trump for him? I mean, how many, I, po- how many posts on Truth Social can we see from President Trump telling y'all, okay, this, is, this has been fun, but let's, let's wrap it up here? Well, I love President wrong? Trump. I, I, he, I love President Trump. I defended him a great deal in Congress, but uh, HR wasn't always his strong suit. You know, President Trump got us folks like Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr and Jim Mattis and Mark Esper, people who didn't always advance America first policy. So I, while I think so Trump has the vision, I do. I think President Trump is wrong to the extent that he supports Kevin McCarthy. There's, a, there's a Representative Matt Gates again. In fact, he's on the, the House floor speaking at the moment, nominating Jim Jordan. So he's had a quite, quite an active week. Uh, and you have to give some of these, uh, these uh, representatives credit for, for going on Fox News. Fox News. If Fox News had its say, McCarthy would have been voted in on Tuesday, and there would be none of these concessions would even be considered. And again, Gates is wondering how many of those concessions are actually serious, or if they'll last. Or if it's in good faith, I mean, he, he says he, he can't trust McCarthy. And then she says, well, but Trump threw his support behind McCarthy a couple days ago. And Matt Gates said, yeah, he also supported Jeff Sessions. He also supported Bill Barr. 
He also supported Mark Esper, Jim Mattis. He made some mistakes with respect to people, HR, human resources. He's made some mistakes. And uh, yes, look at Bill Barr. Look at all that he knew. Everything that, that has been exposed in the Twitter files, how that the election was in fact rigged in more ways than one. And who was the chief law enforcement official of the land at that time? It was Bill Barr, appointed by Donald Trump. Yesterday, I read to you that article by uh, Victor Davis Hanson, or at least excerpts of it, where he just asked all of these questions. The, uh, the question, the chief question being, who seized control of the United States? Who seized control of the U.S.? What has happened? He asked all through this article. It's like it's a chapter out of America under attack. Today we read through another one by Lee Smith at, at Tablet. It's titled, How the FBI Hacked Twitter. The answer begins with Russiagate. And so Smith, you see what's brilliant about his piece. He, he doesn't deal with the subject softly by just asking a bunch of questions. He goes to the source. He goes to who's behind this attack. Barack Obama. Barack Obama's deep state. All these agencies that Barack Obama weaponized. It says here, in fact, the FBI's penetration of Twitter constituted just one part of a much larger intelligence operation, one in which the Bureau offshored the machinery it used to interfere in the 2016 election and embedded it within the private sector. So all that they were doing in 2016, they were scrambling, remember, Obama, after Hillary lost, Obama, he unleashed the DOJ to produce this bogus report that Russia interfered and helped Trump. And then, of course, there was all the spying and, and harassing of Trump's people, Trump himself. It says here, the Twitter files have to date focused on FBI and to a lesser extent CIA election interference. However, a lesser known U.S. government agency, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, also played a significant role in shaping the 2020 vote. A significant role in shaping the vote, these government agencies. Remember Chris Krebs? He was running CISA at the time, and he was far from a cybersecurity expert. But he said it was perfect. Everything about the election was perfect, which is your first clue that it was far from perfect says here, in fact, Elon Musk has done more in two months to bring to light crimes committed by U.S. officials than William Barr and John Durham did during their three-year investigation of the FBI's election interference activities during the 2016 election. Just with the snap of a finger, Elon Musk has done more to expose corruption at the DOJ, at the FBI, to expose election interference. And Bill Barr, he had, he had Hunter's laptop. He had all of the, the, the knowledge that he needed there, all of the evidence that he needed there to blow the whistle on this at the very least, but to expose it, to stop it. Something happened to him, as you well know. Judging by the way he was sounding the alarm to Wolf Blitzer before the election in 2020, and then looking at his actions since, 
It says here, Musk now owns what became a crucial component of the national security apparatus that, seen in this light, is worth many times more than the $44 billion uh, paid for it. What few understand was that the issue wasn't the 2016 election, but the 2020 vote. The vote, uh, too, it says. Baker had to tread carefully or else risk exposing the job for which Sussman had helped plant him at Twitter. I'm just trying to hit some of the high spots here. I can't give you the context on everything. But Lee Smith says it was one of the spy service's most uh, sensitive operations infiltrating social media platforms to fix a presidential race. So Sussman was acquitted and the FBI's hack of Twitter continued. Durham got Sussman, fairly low level. But he's acquitted in a Washington, D.C. court, as you would expect. And the, the tampering with elections continued. The interference continued. It says here, the Obama administration also realized that it could lean hard on monopoly social media platforms in order to gain physical or rather political advantages. And it could make companies that weren't compliant pay a price. First, uh, first strike got you a dressing down from the White House. Weeks after the 2016 vote, well, he mentions an occasion where Zuckerberg was dressed down by Obama. Come on now, you've got to do more to stop Russian interference. You've got to do more to spread these, these hoaxes. It says here, Obama's problem was Trump. It says, as he was leaving office, Obama stamped the U.S. government's seal of approval on Russiagate, ordering his spy chiefs to draft an official assessment claiming Putin helped put Trump in the White House. This says the Republican Attorney General of the U.S., William Barr, the ultimate DOJ insider, knew the FBI was working to fix the 2020 election and did nothing to stop it. That's quite a statement. Bill Barr knew he knew the deep state was working to fix the election, and he didn't stop it. He covered up the truth about Hunter's laptop, among other things. It says here, his Justice Department had, a, had the laptop in its possession, and Bard knew it was authentic. He told reporters this spring that he was shocked Biden lied about his son's computer in the October 22, 2020 debate with Trump. He's squarely confronted with the laptop, and he suggested that it was Russian disinformation, said Barr, which he knew was a lie. But the thing of it is, Barr knew it was a lie, and Barr didn't say anything. Certainly not enough. It says, yet agents under Barr's authority were briefing that, that lie to social media platforms, the press, Congress, and even the Trump White House. Barr says earlier this year, or last year, I guess it would be now, I was shocked. Yeah, I was shocked that Biden just lied to America during that debate. And yet his agents were out there spreading that lie. His agency, his department, they were out spreading that lie. It says, finally, it seems Barr's contempt for the president he served blinded him, along with the class of people to which he belongs, Democrats and Republicans alike, to an essential fact, a whole of society industry designed to shape elections and simper, pro censor, propagandize, and spy on Americans was never simply a weapon to harm Donald Trump. It was designed to replace the republic. Now you think about he was right. You think about what Mr. Armstrong was saying back in the 1940s and 50s, how that America, this is the goal of the communist infiltration, is to bring down the government of the United States of America. That's what happened two years ago. 
That's what happened. And you see all of these, these fake narratives, all of these lies, all of these abuses of power, whether in Congress or throughout the administrative state, and it's all been exposed in America under attack. If you haven't requested your free copy as yet, make sure you contact our operators today. Uh, the number, one 930 We'll take a short break and then come back and conclude with our Bible study segment. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. The world is taking notice of America's waning influence on global affairs. Europe, in particular, is alarmed by America's global retreat. How much longer before Europe realizes it can no longer rely on the U.S. defense umbrella? We are witnessing the beginning stages of an epic geopolitical shift. Well over 50 years ago, Herbert W. Armstrong predicted the rise of 10 kings in Europe to be led by Germany, a union of nations in the territory of the old Roman Empire. Using Bible prophecy as his guide, Mr. Armstrong accurately predicted events that are happening now in Europe. To learn more about these many earth-shaking prophecies, request He Was Right. This free booklet remembers five decades of accurate forecasting by Herbert W. Armstrong. Call today and ask for He Was Right. You may also request the book online. Just visit our website at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Well, judging by some of the initial numbers uh, coming across the board, it looks like McCarthy has been able to lure a few of the hardliners over into his camp. We'll see how that that, uh, that vote plays out later today. Yesterday on the program, I talked about the Spirit of God and being led by the Spirit. We, we left off with that verse in Romans 8 and verse 14 where it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. You see, this is what makes you a true Christian, and, and study through all of Romans 8, if you like, powerful chapter, mostly about, at least in the first half, about the Holy Spirit of God, and how that, that it's the Spirit in you that makes you a Christian, that makes you a follower of Christ. If we're led by that Spirit, as many as are led by it, they are the sons of God, they're God's children. And so the Spirit needs to lead us. As my father asked, I, I gave you the quote yesterday from the last hour. He asked there, does, does the Spirit of God directly guide you? Are, are we teachable enough, malleable enough, submissive enough to just follow God's lead? Or do we, like so many, and there's plenty of examples in the, the, the Bible, Old Testament Israel, obviously, they just were kicking and screaming the whole way. As they said, Moses was leading them astray. They wanted to go back to uh, Egypt after just a few days, even after these stunning miracles, earth-shaking miracles. What does that say about human nature and its ability to just follow God's lead? This is the essence of the first commandment, the first and great commandment, to put God above all else. What a different 
<laughs> what a different nation this would be if we were actually doing that. You know, you can see some of that footage of the House of Representatives and, and, and carved into the stone above the speaker's chair. It says, in God we trust. And they start each day with a prayer. The chaplain comes out and gives a prayer and then the Pledge of Allegiance. And then as soon as that's over, they go back to fighting. Fighting for what? Fighting for themselves. In most cases, now there's a few, a handful, that are fighting for their constituents. But even that's rare today. As many as are led by the Spirit. Think about how different God's government will function compared to what we see, all of the dysfunctional governments in the world today. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's where we receive strength and power. It comes from God. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong. Be strengthened with the power of his might. This is something that we have to continually be tapping into, God's power, God's spirit. Verse 18, further on, you can read the verses in between. It describes the, the armor of God, and Paul says we've got to put all of it on. Put on the whole armor of God. But then it concludes here with this point, verse 18, praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We have to pray even in the Spirit. Again, if it's not in the Spirit, what good is it? You see, as I say, you see some, some prayers that are obviously not in the Spirit, even in the walls of Congress. It's got to be in the Spirit. We have to walk in the Spirit. We have to follow God's lead. This is from the, the healing booklet that Herbert Armstrong wrote so many years ago, pointing to these first century heroes and saying that, look, they were empowered by God. How, how did that happen? Or, or all in the Bible, I guess, the, the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, talks about Abraham and Noah and these many prophets that just laid down their lives. It says in Hebrews 11 that they died without having even received the promises. These were men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit. It fueled them. It motivated them. They were close to God and filled with his spirit, as Mr. Armstrong wrote. He said, and we seem to lack that power today, not because God denies us that power, but because we're so close to a modern materialistic world. Our minds are so filled with the material interests of this life. Our minds and our hearts are so far from God. We're so out of touch with him through lack of enough time spent in the study of his word and lack of enough of the right kind of surrendered, notice this, surrendered, submissive, earnest, and heart-rending prayer. And consequently, because we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, which affords us the power of God. This is the problem with humanity today. We're so far removed from God. We're so far removed from godly principles, from God's laws it really is Judges 21 and verse 25. Every man's just doing what seems right in his own eyes. If you study through Galatians 5 and verse 
22. I guess I can read that. I don't have it printed out in my notes. But notice Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. This is where the fruits of the Spirit are listed off. Verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, God's love. You can study the word, the Greek word, uh, agape, in a lexicon if you like. But that's God's love, John 3, 16. Uh, we, we said yesterday, or we quoted it yesterday, that explains, really, the love of God. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, wonderful passage about God's love. Read it, read it from the Moffat version. It's really hard-hitting, corrective, exposes just how selfish we are. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy just springs from love. If we're living the way of love, Read Acts 20 in verse 35, where it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's what God's love does. It gives. It's outflowing. And when you're doing that, it's more blessed. In other words, you're filled with joy. It says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Submitting to God and his will, Philippians 2 and verse 13, speaks of the will of God. This is where we get the temperance and the self-discipline, the self-control that we need. We obviously have to do our part. We have to push ourselves. We have to drop down to our knees. We have to go to our prayer closet. We have to cry out to God. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you and you do all those things, then you'll be filled with strength and power and might and all of these fruits of the Holy Spirit. Most notably, the fruit of God's love. There are uh, other passages of Scripture that you can, uh, you can look at. Actually, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse, um, verse 16, it says, For which cause we faint not, but though the outward man perish... Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. See, every day we need that, that spirit renewal. Every day we need to drink in of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with God's power, God's nature. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7 says that the Holy Spirit is not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what God's spirit is. It's the spirit of power and love. There's God's love mentioned again. And also that of a, of, a, of a sound mind. Let's just look at one more passage describing the spirit of God. This comes from uh, Isaiah 11 and verse 2. Starting in verse 2, it says, And the spirit of the eternal shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the eternal, Verse 3 says, And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the eternal, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. Righteousness. And again, you can keep reading verse 5 also. Uh, again, some powerful, powerful admonitions for us to drink in of the Spirit of God and to be led by and empowered by the Spirit of God. It's, it's, not that we, it's not that we can't have access to that same power that the, the, uh, the apostles of old or the prophets of old had access to. That's the same power that we can be filled with 
The problem today, as Mr. Armstrong brings out in the healing booklet, is that we're just so far removed from God. We're not really drawing on this, this power of God, strengthened with might, as Ephesians 6 brings out. This is what my father said in the last hour. It says, we must have and use God's spirit to endure this last hour. That's the only, the only way to survive. The only way to survive what's coming is to, to have this power, to, to receive of this power. We need it for strength. We need it for protection. We need it for motivation to stay the course. There, so many of God's people have just fallen away from the truth. They haven't endured. They haven't even endured the years that we've seen transpire between Mr. Armstrong's death to today. But what about what's coming? I mean, we're, we're experiencing some, some earth-shaking events even now. But in the lead up to the tribulation and even during the great tribu- tribulation and, and God's people being protected during the great tribulation, we're going to need to be walking by faith. And that faith needs to increase That's what the disciples asked Jesus in the first century. They said, Jesus, increase our faith. Help us. Teach us how to have stronger faith. We can't have strong faith if we're being filled by the Spirit of God every day. I'll conclude here with a few um, email, uh, email feedback that we've gotten. I think I had some of the ones I used yesterday still uh, clipped in my notes. So if I read this yesterday, forgive me. I watch your program daily. This comes from the Philippines. Uh, My favorite 2022 soundbite is actually not a soundbite, but it's you doing the Ray Epps voice. Well, this is a good one for January 6th. (laughs) Ray Epps. I don't know how many times. We should have had the the crew search through a montage of yours truly, all of the Ray Epps impersonations. It's uh, not exactly the hardest to pull off. In any event, here's one viewer who enjoys it. Another one says, you always make my day. Your enthusiasm is so over the top on your daily broadcasts that uh, uh, the world is so horrible yet so ridiculous. I can definitely empathize with you. You remind me of your father a lot. My father, of course, has his weekly program. I forget what the topic is for the one that's posted today, but that's the key of David, and that also is a program that you can get to at our website. That's uh, thetrumpet.com. Another one here says, you're doing an outstanding job. Thank you for keeping us informed of prophetic events, as well as teaching us how to be good disciples of God. Thank you for teaching me in so many facets that I might skillfully grow. It says, I watch the daily shows uh, the next mornings. First thing, it says, it has been near, near 20 years I have been following the PCG and the trumpet. Thank you so very much for all that you do. 20 years, we have a lot of strong support coming from some of our trumpet readers, uh, co-workers even, that contribute to this work. Of course, our members, those that attend weekly services with God's church, they're very dedicated and committed to this end-of-the-end-time work. This one here says, just finished the Twittergate article, and as usual, it was very insightful, including many points to ponder. Thank you for your example of faithfulness and relentless pursuit of the truth. Uh, It says, the Trumpet Daily is a huge blessing to God's people, giving us never-ending fodder for fellowship. Fervent prayers will continue daily for your strength to support God's watchmen. Keep up the excellent effort. 
Another one here says, when Mr. Obama speaks of better angels, he must mean demons because Satan doesn't have any good angels. Your programs are great and informative. Keep up the good fight, it says there. Another one here says, I just wanted to contrast the swooning over Zelensky's visit. Uh, This now seems like ancient history. That was a few weeks ago, I guess it was. The swooning over Zelensky's visit, that was all timed perfectly to happen right before the omnibus spending. we got to get money through to Ukraine. Let's do it right before Christmas. Let's force it down the throats of Americans and just make them pay for all this. And then the lobbyists, the administrative state, everybody's happy. The committees that work behind closed doors, that put together these 4,000-page spending packages, they all benefit. They can all line their pockets, but it's the American people who suffer. She says here, I just wanted to contrast the swooning over Zelensky's visit to the snoring over the Taliban's recent ban of women in colleges and the, the protests taking place in Afghanistan over this. What the U.S. did in Afghanistan is horrific, and there should have been foresight. Yeah, there should have been some oversight as well. None of that happened, did it? Congress! Congress did nothing. All the conservatives, they just, I guess they went after the soundbite, but that's about it. Nobody was held to account for that disastrous, horrific withdrawal from Afghanistan. Another one here, I think I have time for one more. It says, I want to thank you for your ministry. I found today's sermon completely inspiring, and after listening to you, I'm filled with joy and peace. I've been reading the trumpet literature over the past months, and I thank you for it. I'm 62 years old, and coming, or this coming Tuesday, and I've been uh, walking a very lonely path since my spiritual awakening, uh, going back to the 1970s, he says. I wish you all joy and and, uh, stand with you on the field of battle. God bless you and give you strength. If you'd like to email the show, you can send us a note, TD at the trumpet. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us on today's program, and we thank you for joining us in what has been a very busy week, and we'll see you next time.